the economy is in pretty good shape these days. Even so, the logistics industry faces some strong headwinds entering the new year. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. Transportation and logistics providers are enjoying the fruits of strong demand for product. At the same time, they must contend with a number of wild cards that could affect their prospects in the coming months. There are multiple uncertainties surrounding rates, regulation, and the availability of drivers. We're seeing dramatic changes in freight mix, driven by the ever-growing dominance of e-commerce and the internet. We're going to tackle all of those issues in my conversation with Rachel Snyder. Vice President of Customer Supply Chain with AFN Logistics. We spoke in the fourth quarter of last year, in the weeks leading up to the holiday shopping rush, and we looked ahead to 2018, when carriers and shippers will be struggling to achieve a balance between cost and service, and the emphasis on long versus short-term planning. We'll hear about some best practices that both sides should be adopting in order to succeed in the new year. So here is my conversation with Rachel Snyder. Rachel Snyder, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's start with a discussion of the present day. What are some of the big issues that you're facing today in the logistics arena? Yeah, I think it's a crazy market currently, especially within the transportation logistics space, 3PL space. We have a few market compressions occurring. We're seeing spot rates higher than they have been in several years. We're seeing load to truck ratios higher than they've been ever indicated on the DAT, going all the way back to 2010. We're seeing driver shortages. We are seeing crop or harvesting issues, thus placing incremental pressure on rates or capacity. We are. Seeing federal regulation mandates, i.e., ELDs, and what the impact of that implication has within the logistics space, and we're also just seeing changes in freight mix and an increasing consumer demand to have product on shelves or product within their hands quicker, faster, and all of those things are having compound effects within the logistics space as it is today. So right now, I think it's definitely a carrier market. We're seeing、um, tremendous volumes above and beyond forecast of what we predicted, what of our customers and shippers are predicted. Apply that with the rates, and you kind of have perfect storm. So, trying to ensure that we're delivering to the best of our abilities and maintaining service levels within this industry is definitely becoming challenging. But other than that, everything's fine. <laughs> yes, other than all of that, everything else is great. <laughs> It sounds like it's a function, though, as you say, of strong demand. It's not a question just of not enough capacity, but the capacity is out there. It's being taken up by strong freight movements, right? Absolutely, yes. Is that a seasonal thing, or is that an overall economic thing? I mean, here we are in Q4,、uh, headed into the big holiday season.、Uh, so one would expect that there would be a lot of activity. Is that just in keeping with the season, or is it even more than that? 
Even more so, traditionally, October and November are quieter months when it comes to freight. However, we're seeing a October month here within our own company that is second to only September, uh, which is our largest month of the year, usually compared to summer months in terms of beverage or holiday or retail season in the summer. You see a little bit of a lull before retail season. We did not get that. So I think the uh, increasing volumes and um, pace and that we're seeing in October and now as we begin November and don't really see any sign of slowing quite yet. I think that's going to even continue as we go into December and push that retail or that holiday freight spend all the way up until the end of the year. So we don't really foresee that lulling any more than some of the other months in the year. On the regulatory side, how is the situation affected by the electronic logging device requirement that supposedly by the end of this year, trucks are going to have these things installed? Is that uh, pulling trucks out of service to have them installed or is it how is that affecting shippers' ability to get capacity when they need it? It's tough. No one really has gained a true grasp on what the implication of the ELD mandate is going to be quite yet. Some are speculating just a 5% loss in capacity, just an adoption, just on the drivers learning how to use the ELD device. Oftentimes, when anyone gets a new phone, it, there's that little bit of a ramp-up curve before you really know how to use it quite yet. But then you also have speculation of losing anywhere between 15 and 20% capacity between drivers who are deciding to retire, who don't have any interest in implementing an ELD, drivers who choose to move to short haul from long haul to avoid that loophole or use that loophole to avoid having to implement the ELD. So we're seeing some change in freight mix. We're also seeing some drivers potentially looking for pre-2000 equipment, which is also a loophole to have to avoid using an ELD device. So a lot of that is speculation. I do know brokers and owner asset providers are all doing their best to pull their drivers or owner assets are using technology to ensure that they're up to 100% compliance. But even based upon that, there is still a little bit of uncertainty as to what the exact effect of the ELD mandate is going to mean in terms of capacity. Might we assume that that 15 to 20 percent figure is a not very likely? I mean, that seems like a huge amount for something that uh, a lot of trucks already have and probably won't be that disruptive to a trucker that it caused them to actually leave the business if they have to install one of these devices. I mean, that seems a little on the high side to me. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think, like I mentioned there, I think because of that uncertainty, there are different speculative notions out there. The 15 to 20% is definitely on the high end of what I've seen. And I believe that's a compound of, like I mentioned, the 5% loss in just adoption plus the capacity reductions or drivers switching to short haul to avoid the compliance mandate. I do think as though there is kind of that big brother feel amongst the driver population that they don't want someone knowing exactly where they're at or using their phone to be able to track exactly where they're at at all times. It is kind of a privacy thing. And although I do believe that most drivers are going to have the implications of losing their job or losing their revenue stream and weigh that against the implications of just having that privacy factor kind of removed from your day-to-day execution and weigh that. And oftentimes I believe that even though they say now that they don't like the idea of an ELD mandate or they don't have any implication of complying, push comes to shove, I think we'll see that continuing on and adhering to the regulations in order to ensure that they do have that cost or that revenue stream. 
Yeah, when it comes to the privacy issue, I would tend to think that that ship has sailed, if I might use an incorrect transportation mode metaphor for what we're talking about here. <laughs> but uh, And of course, e-commerce and Amazon, it's been around with, it's been with us now for a few years, but it seems to get more intense every year in terms of customer Absolutely. demands for more last minute and fast deliveries. Yep. Does that affect the, uh, the, the freight environment in general, for also for larger packages and, and more B2B type moves? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, like I mentioned, everyone's wanting everything quicker, faster. Quantities are being more fragmented to more locations around the country. Instead of just having the standard hub-and-spoke model from a distribution perspective, you're, we're seeing vendors and shippers needing to get as close to the end consumer as possible so that that final mile route is within a 24- to 48-hour designation. And a lot of that is having tremendous impacts in some of the freight mix because no longer are you able to ship full truckload quantities to one end destination. You're kind of having to ship smaller LTL quantities to multi-stop level. So mm. I think a lot of that is fragmenting the transportation network even further than it used to be and growing the network to be within that 24 to 48 hour window of a customer to ensure that from an e-com platform, you can su support that quick delivery that they're requiring. Now, you've been in this business for a while, and you have extensive experience working specifically for some of the biggest shippers out there. I'm wondering, in your estimation over the years that you've been doing this job, how has the job changed for you in terms of what you're doing and what you're concerned with? Yeah, I think probably within the last 10 years or so, supply chain or transportation or distribution has become less of just a cost on a P&L and move more towards becoming almost a core competency or strategic type initiative within larger organizations. And they're realizing because of Amazon and because of these large supply chain organizations that you can use that platform as a strategic type lever within your business and where before it was lead time was less important and all of some of the like older type larger volume big box retailer type mentalities were less important now service is key and cost is maybe no longer the number one factor when contributing or looking into developing a supply chain strategy. And now they're looking at if service is number one, if getting it to my end customer, my end consumer is number one, how can I be more strategic within my freight spend to limit my cost as much as possible while still maintaining the service levels that my customers are requiring? So I think it's shifted a little bit from cost towards service, or it's kind of a blended metric of both, and consumers are trying to be a little bit more innovative when developing their supply chain strategies instead of just looking at something from a method to get their product from A to B. Certainly puts more pressure on the logistics manager or the logistics executive to deliver that kind of value to the organization, doesn't it? Absolutely, especially in a market with increasing costs. It's tough to meet that budget, yet at the same time, ensuring mm. that you're meeting the KPIs that you or your internal corporation and your customers demand. So maybe back in the day when you were working for shippers as opposed to a 3PL, what was keeping you up at night? Was it mostly just, I've got to keep my costs down? Walmart tells us that we have to cut up the prices by 10%, so we have to do that all down the line. Was price your big deal back then? 
I think it was almost like a pendulum. And I try to use this as almost like one of those seesaws. I think you started to get one more where it was service, 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 because the customer was dissatisfied because you did go low cost. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, sacrifice cost to get service up to the levels that we need. And then once you get there, it's like, all right, now we got to stop the bleeding. And now it's cost, 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 right? And now it's, let's see what we can do to minimize our cost implications at the same time as trying to withhold that service level that we had or designated to have internally. So for me, I always felt like I was always on this pendulum. It was either one week we were focusing on service at the expense of cost. The other week it was we were focusing on cost at the expense of service. And then it's tough to delineate when you're going back and forth and finding that middle ground. I want to mention another pendulum you would face be faced with, and maybe even today, I don't know, would be the back and forth shift of power between shipper and carrier, depending on capacity and rates. One moment, the shipper is calling the shots and the carriers are just scrambling to serve their needs. The next moment, capacity tightens up and it's the carriers who are doing it. And I'm wondering, it becomes a vicious circle, does it not, where the two sides are just seeking advantage from moment to moment as opposed to actually figuring out a way to get together on a steadier basis and, and create some value for both of them at the same time. Do you see that higher perspective emerging at all, or is it still a back and forth struggle for power between the two groups? It's absolutely a back and forth struggle. I think even if you look at 2017 and the earlier parts of the year, it was definitely a shipper market. And now we're in the space where it's a carrier market. And as we go into contract negotiations for 2018, both sides are trying to protect themselves from the market that we're currently in today to ensure that if this happens again next year, that neither side is on the losing side, if you will. And I think a lot of that comes between lack of transparency or lack of communication. I think sometimes you have a very hard wall between the shipper and the carrier, and the shipper likes to hold information or data close to their chest. And that lack of communication or transparency that could really actually foster the communication to come together to develop a collaborative solution to mitigate that risk together, it's that uncertainty that is what creates that pendulum because both sides feel like they need to protect themselves in the instance that a market is in the condition it is today or in the flip side if a market is where it was back in January of this year. So visibility becomes a key to avoiding the, uh, the zero-sum game that this has been traditionally, right? Absolutely. What kind of skills, I mean, you're talking about the additional responsibilities and even more creative responsibilities are falling on the shoulders of logistics execs today. What kind of skills do these individuals, yourself and those who are still working for shippers, need to have today that they might not have needed to possess in the past? I think a lot of it is both short-term problem solving, but also being able to look at kind of an, a macro level strategic type initiative. I think usually we find ourselves with an individual that's either very focused on the short term or someone's very focused on the long term. And you usually find yourself developing a solution that comes at the expense of one or the other. And I think one key ability is to look and be able to identify a solution that serves both to the best of their ability. And I sometimes we come into negotiations with a customer where a short-term solution very much so hinders our ability to develop and be strategic on from a long-term perspective. And that real short-sightedness is what can really inhibit our ability to ensure that we are getting the most mutual value we can develop from the relationship. 
So it's still a lot of people and relationship ability that you have to have because you're sitting down with these carriers and you're across a table sometimes or over a phone or whatever. And that doesn't change, I imagine. Yep. What about technology? Does today's logistics slash supply chain executive need a greater grasp of technology or is that taken care of by other people in the organization? I definitely believe that they should have the ability to understand and utilize data. So while I don't necessarily believe that ha they have to be so technical to be able to get in a TMS and identify a load and understand the full nuances within a technological or a, tech a TMS or a system, I do believe they have to utilize data. Data is what will help you identify patterns. It will help you identify dig sites, areas of opportunity, and you it's very difficult for someone to be successful in this role if they don't at least know how to utilize the data they have in order to help them be proactive moving forward. And I think that's something that I've noticed definitely within my previous roles and as I move forward is I always tend to go to data first. And it may not have 100% of the story. There may be nuances. However, I do very wholeheartedly believe that data will always be the most unbiased partisan when identifying or trying to come up with some sort of strategy. Or solution. As long as you can sift through the data and as long as it's accurate and clean and not yep. dirty and, and you can Absolutely. deal with big data and all that kind of stuff. So, But of course, this technology does often require a change of business process within the organization in terms of the roles that you're, that you're playing, in terms of what you're letting a so-called machine do or what only the person can do. We talk now about AI, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Is that starting to insinuate itself into the logistics and carrier relationship arena yet? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, within AFM, we have a machine learning capability where we are utilizing historical market data as well as current market data in real time to try to identify rates in our suggested booking price tool that we use to hopefully eliminate some of the personal bias or the personal errors that can come when you're having as much human interaction as possible when it comes to freight or rates or whatever that may be. So we're consistently using a tool that identifies those peaks and valleys, that identifies the seasonal trends, that identifies current market capacity conditions, and any lane level analysis to push out a suggested market rate to ensure that we are giving our carrier team the best ability to lock down that load with a provider that we we're 100% confident can deliver service. Rachel, how did you get into this business? Well, I actually was working down uh, in Arkansas at Walmart Home Office, and I was interviewing a former chief purchasing officer. And he was mentioning how he was wanting to come out of retirement and what he missed about procurement and supply chain. And I was sitting there interviewing him, thinking to myself, I miss this, and I've never even done it before. What were you and doing at the time At the time you were I, interviewing? What was your role? I was in recruiting, just recruiting. Oh, um, okay. Yep, I, just in recruiting. And that's when I really started to identify with supply chain. I started doing research on supply chain. Definitely seemed like something I would be interested in. For me, it was a perfect mix of both a data or analytical side as well as have that human interaction and that strategic side and identified top schools for supply chain. Just so happened that I was from a, I'm from Michigan originally and Michigan state was number one in the country, decided to go back and get my MBA supply chain and then kicked off my career and I couldn't be happier. 
Interesting. You made the decision and then you sought the education. The education didn't come to you first. There was no class or no program that taught you, that made you aware of even the existence of this business, right? Uh, it's no, sort of, You took the initiative and, and went into yeah. it. Yeah. I, I have never really met anyone that's just kind of that purposely sought out supply chain. Every individual <laughs> I have ever met has kind of just stumbled into this industry and either loved it or hate it. And I was one that loves it, obviously. <laughs> well, th do you therefore feel it incumbent upon you to serve a kind of mentorship role to bring young people into this business and to give them the kind of awareness of it that you never had? Absolutely. I try to work with our human resources team in my current life and in uh, previous lives to be an active recruiter for any company I'm in because usually when anyone spends five minutes with me, they can tell that I absolutely love what I do and I love I was going to comment upon that. It was quite clear. <laughs> yeah, I, lo I love what I do and I love this industry and I am very passionate about trying to engage others who I feel as though would be as passionate as I am. And I, that's, I wholeheartedly believe that skill and technical ability is something you can teach and you can never teach someone passion. I would take passion over technical ability any day. And I would think you would like to attract more women to the field as well, would you not? Oh, absolutely. I de definitely male-dominated field. I'm definitely usually one of only maybe two in a group of 10 uh, women to women to male. Would be nice to have some fellow uh, women with me here. Absolutely. All right. So summing up, give us some best practices for 2018 as we go into an uncertain year. Of course, what year is not uncertain, but especially mm -hmm. now. What are some things that shippers, logistics managers, and for that matter, 3PLs need to have on their minds and need to be doing in the coming year? First and foremost, strategy. Develop an internal strategy. What is going to be your strategy going into 2018 in terms of freight mix, in terms of diversification, in terms of contingency plans? Then go to market with that strategy and be as open and transparent as possible. Give your providers as much data as you can, as much insight into where your key initiatives are going into 2018. Are they service? Are they cost? Is there some sort of larger technical integration or technical initiative your company has going into 2018? Do you have a growth platform? What is your intended growth? And be as, as transparent as you can with all of that knowledge to ensure that your carrier is setting themselves up for success and knows that any momentum or movement that you plan in 2018, that they're right alongside you. I think that communication is super key. I think developing a strategy and not just simply RFPing and going out to the market with rates, um, coming up with how you think you can be innovative and use the diversification within the 3PL or freight space to capitalize on what is this current market today, but also ensure that you are not leaving money on the table when it comes to any mar potential market swings going into 2018. That is some great advice as we look upon a very uncertain landscape. Uh, Rachel Snyder, I want to thank you so much for sharing your views and your passion for this job and talking a little thank bit you. about how where it's been and where it's going. And thank uh, thanks very much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. That was my conversation with Rachel Snyder of AFN Logistics, talking about the challenges that the industry will face in the coming year. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. 
You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.